Good morning, good evening, good day, and welcome to Drama Buds. I'm Francine, I really love K-dramas, and I'm going to spend as much time as I want talking about them. Welcome to my podcast. So, hello everyone. Today, we're going to talk about a K-drama that I think is truly like the first of its kind in many ways. So today, we're talking about Arthville Chronicles, which aired back in 2019. So I say it's the first of its kind because it is the first prehistoric K-drama. Like we're used to, you know, historical K-dramas being like Sagok era type shows. But this is before that. This is, you know... At the dawn of civilization and stuff. So yeah, prehistoric K-drama. Uh, it was released in three parts with six episodes each. So it's 18 episodes long. There was a break between some of those parts. So yeah, it was not a continuously aired program. And it's possibly seasonal. We're still... It's been, you know, over a year. We're still not entirely sure if it's going to get the season two. But... I'll discuss that later. And, okay, why? Why did I end up watching this show, you may ask? And you need not ask. A little background on me. So we all know I'm obsessed with um Kim Won-sook PD's works, right? Missing my Mr. Signal. We know. If you've listened to any of my other episodes... I pretty much mention his works in every single one of them. So this was the last of his more modern works that I think are high quality. So yeah, I just I just had to complete it. I just had to watch and, you know, like figure out, is it really the director? Does he really add something to the shows that he works on? And I think so. And we will talk about that later on. So, Arthur Chronicles is kind of insane. There's kind of a lot to talk about. Like, um, I tried, I really tried my best to outline this and simplify it without spoiling, like, everything in the show. But it's difficult because so much is going on. So much happened even within the first episode. And the first episode barely even focuses on, you know, the protagonists we which we will actually, like, focus on for the rest of the show. The entire first episode was just backstory and world building. You know why? Because they had to, okay? It, it was the type where first episode felt like an info dump. Well, 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 watch out for like the rest of the show because there's more information coming. So don't, like, don't get tired of like memorizing lore and figuring, you know, things out because there's more to figure out. So here... I will help you through that, okay? Like, don't be intimidated by, like, all the things you have to learn about the world of Arth Bell Chronicles. The world of Arth, okay? It, I'll, I'll help you. I'm here for you. So, so, <laughs> the K-drama takes place in the land of Arthdal. That's what they call their land. Not necessarily their country or nation. Uh, their union, I guess, which is on this great black cliff. Um, and so beneath or down the Great Black Cliff is the land of Iark, where, you know, people are seen as barbarians. Um, they don't live in a proper, quote-unquote, civilization the way um, the people of Arthdal do. And so um, on the Great Black Cliff in Arthdal, um, the two main species at the start of the show are the Saram or like the you know the regular humans and the Neanthals who are like you know stronger, faster, um, just have a keener, keener senses and all, and like their civilization, their culture and society is very different from the Sarams. Um, so yeah, uh. In the Arthdal Union, composed mostly of Sarams, um, they are split into different tribes, and each tribe has many clans, like smaller families or communities that compose that tribe, which has which they each have like their own, you know, territory and their own kind of 
thing. <laughs> okay, and so um, most of the tribes in the land of Arthdal um, have joined the Arthdal Union, which is led by the two most powerful tribes in the land, which are um, the Senyok tribe, uh, which they're kind of like the military force um, because they have the Deccan forces. So that's like a group, a specialized group, I guess, a specialized army or troops, whatever. You get the point. They're the military tribe-ish, the Senyok tribe, and the other tribe, which is the Winsan tribe or the White Mountain tribe. And so the White Mountain tribe is kind of the religious. They, they control the religious aspect of the Arthdal Union um, because they're seen as the descendants of Asashin, which is like, I don't know, not the god. Asashin isn't a god. It's like a prophet or something. Something like that, I guess. Like a prophet type person. So yeah, they're indirect descendants of Asashin. And so um, they essentially control or like... <laughs> Well, they do actually control the religious beliefs of the people in Artha. Like, they're the ones in charge of rituals and oracles and, like, declaring who is chosen by the gods. And um, when people commit blasphemy or, you know, um, uh, I don't know, defame. <laughs> defame the White Mountain tribe. Like, they're the ones in charge of sacred trials and they receive oracles from the gods and they declare, um, is this person innocent? Does this person um, deserve to have their feet cut off in which, like, I don't know, means something in the afterlife? Like, in the afterlife, they will have to crawl. I, I, I don't know how to explain that. But it's some religious thing, okay? Just, they're the religious tribe. The White Mountain tribe is the religious tribe. And like the Senyok tribe or the Deccan forces, they're the military. Okay? And so those are the two leading tribes in the Arthdal Unions. And the leaders of those tribes are the Niruhas. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. It's a title that they give to the leader of those two because they're kind of the leaders of the entire Arthdal Union. Okay, and then another major tribe that plays a role in the story is the Hay tribe. Um, so they're kind of in charge of like the technological aspects, like technology, weapons, science, and they're the only ones who know how to um, f uh, how to manufacture or make whatever they can make bronze weapons they can use bronze and turn it into weapons and so they're really very influential and powerful because of course they are needed to maintain like the peace and order or to you know i guess achieve all the the colonial dreams of these you know these um powerful tribes and so they're kind of you know, in the room where it happens a lot of the times and the reason why they're not as powerful as the other two is because the Hay tribe originally came from another country, a foreign land. So they're just less established and politically weaker than the Senyok tribe or the White Mountain tribe. So, but they're they're getting there, and then they just side with whoever is most powerful at the time. We will talk about that later. And so the big event that really sparks, you know, all the events in this story is, um, you know. The Sarams, the humans, I'll just call them the, the humans, are, they're, you know, they're just like us. <laughs> they're just like the, the, the humans in the real world. They, they get scared of the people uh, that are more powerful than them, and so they decide to commit genocide. So the Sarams committed genocide on the Neanthals, because the Neanthals are, you know, the stronger species. And of course, they're afraid of anything that's more powerful than them. And they see them as like barbarians, you know, because they don't have a civilization as quote-unquote advanced as the civilizations of the Sarams. And yeah, so genocide. Yeah, that's what starts everything. And um, yeah, that's 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 the world. <laughs> That's the world of Arthdal Chronicles. That's just like episode one, okay? Or half of episode one, maybe. Actually, who knows? I I talked about a lot of the lore already, but there's more lore. And I will not disclose it because, I don't know, 
we could spend all day here, but we will not. <laughs> so I'll move on to um the the characters, the main characters of the show. So first is um Tagon, played by Jang Donggun. So Tagon is the son of Sanong, which is the union leader. Okay, so Sanong is the head of the Senyok tribe. And he made his son, Tagon, into the leader of the Dekan forces specifically. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Tagon, how do I say this? He doesn't exactly have a great relationship with his father. Um, and so he's been sent to like battlefield after battlefield. Like his first major win um is leading the genocide on against the, the Anthals. So like because he was able to like essentially lead the hunt. <laughs> the hunt of the Neanthals, he's seen as a hero in Arthal. And then he um quelled this like uprising of this a faraway tribe that all that wanted to like what do you call it secede from the union or something um so he quelled that and they were able to do it without like shedding any blood and killing the tribe essentially and lastly his next major win was he was the one who led the forces that were sent down to Iark you know, the the barbaric land down the Great Black Cliff so that they could capture and enslave more people because they want to expand Arthdal, essentially. So there, he's seen as a hero in Arthdal and he is he's loved by the people and he wants to be loved by the people. And so he's always had a strange relationship with his father, but it became even worse because, you know, of the many victories that um, Tagon has achieved and, you know, was kind of assigned to him by his father. Like, he's growing in power. He's growing in influence. And his father is jealous of that in some ways, in, in many ways, I guess. So, there. Um, and so, like, the thing with Tagon is that he doesn't just want to be the union leader. He doesn't want to just, like, take over his father's position as the leader of the Senyok tribe and then, you know stay in this weird symbiotic no it's not it's not a very good relationship with like the leader of the white mountain tribe like it's very how do i say it it's very fragile like this quote-unquote balance you know between the military and the religious powers it's not the separation of church and state does not apply here. And therefore, they are there's a little bit of a power struggle, but they try not to talk about it. Do you get my point? So he doesn't just want to inherit that situation. He doesn't want to be the union leader. He wants to be the king. Like he wants to completely be in control of Arthdal. Okay, and so his entire journey essentially is like balancing his ambition with his desire to be loved. Because, like, to be a king, you you have to make sacrifices. And you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. And he, you know, when you start killing people left and right to establish your power, you lose the love of the people. But he, he wants to be loved so badly. And so just, you know, the ambition versus that, like, insecurity or that greedy, <laughs> that greed for love and approval and all that like that's his struggle but who is there for Tagon as he goes through everything in his life you know there's way more to Tagon by the way I'm just I'm really giving you like the bare minimum of his character because there's so much to this guy there's so much to all of these characters but I'll give you the bare minimum okay so who's there by Tagon's side all the time it's Teyalha played by Kim Okvin so Okay, although I describe it as, you know, Tagon and Tela, this is not a male lead and his female lead type of drama. Okay, this is not, you know, the two of them falling in love and fighting against the odds to protect their love and be powerful. I mean, okay, it's kind of like that. But it's not like that. <laughs> Let me explain. So, Teelha is the daughter of Nihol, who is the head of the Hay tribe. So, she's from the Hay tribe. And so, because of like their kind of weaker position, like as a tribe compared to the Senyok tribe and the White Mountain tribe, like 
they essentially just have to side with whoever is strongest at the moment. And like as a safeguard, um, Mihol sent Teilha to to be a spy to seduce both Tagon and Sanong, you know, the father of Tagon. But you know, she really fell in love with Tagon. Like she is his ride or die. Okay, like his success is her success. And so she loves him. She really, really, like, I swear, their love is so genuine. It's not just because she wants to be the queen or she wants to gain power for herself. Like, it's not like that. They really do love each other. Okay, that's, ah, I'll talk about that later. But, okay, she loves him, but she knows that she has to survive. She, she as an individual has to survive. Her tribe also has to survive because that contains, like, some of the people that she does care about. Um, but yeah, she, they have to survive. And so she has to side with the strongest person. And so, like, in some, you know, in some ways, that could be a conflict of interest. Those could be two conflicting things. But Teyala being, like, the genius that she is, she decides, you know, why do I have to choose? Why can't I make him into the strongest person <laughs> so that I will be secure and I can also still protect the man I love? So homegirl <laughs> does everything that she can to make him into a king. To give him that absolute power so that she will be secure. And so that she can still have him. Right? That's that's genius. I I love Tayla. I will talk about her later. She's my favorite character <laughs> among all of these. And so, moving on to our next main character. It's Unsom, played by Song Junki. So, Unsom is an Igutu. What is an Igutu, you may ask? It's the child of a Saram and a Nianthal. And so, okay, Sarams have red blood and Nianthals have blue blood. And, you know, guess what happens when they have a child together? It has purple blood. <laughs> purple blood, purple lips, like, um, you know, a blue or purplish scar on, the, on their back and stuff. Like, they're very, they're physically different from Sarams, but they're not completely different the way Neanthals are. So my point is, <laughs> he's an Igutu. <laughs> and he's the son of Asahon, who was a member of the White Mountain tribe, and Dragas, who is a Neanthal, like one of the last remaining adult Neanthals after like the big hunt, after like the initial hunt of the Neanthals. So... Uh, Unsom was born on the day that the great blue comet appeared in the sky. And so in Arthdal like mythology that me like the the ones born on the day of the great blue comet will bring calamity to Arthdal. And so Asahon, his mother, um took him down the great black cliff, away from, you know, Arthdal and all of those people, um, to keep him away. You know, to prevent him from bringing that calamity to Arthdal. And also because as an Igutu, he will be hunted down in there. So he, she had to, you know, run away with him. And so in Iark, as soon as they arrived, they were found by the Wahan tribe. Uh, which is, you know, a tribe in in Iark, down in Iark. And then as soon as they were found, Asahon died because they spent like 10 years trying to find their way down. And so, you know, Asahon just got weaker and weaker and she died. I don't know, is that a spoiler alert? Yeah, his mom will die. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, And so, like the Wahan tribe, of course, being in Iark, all their civilization, um, they don't know anything about Neanthals or Igotus, but they do know that Unsom is different. Like, you know, purple lips and all. Um, the fact that he can dream. Because um, Sarams can't dream. Only Neanthals dream. And, of course, Igotus. Um, so, yeah. They just... They don't know anything about, like, the hunt against... The the hunt of the Neanthals and the oppression and hatred for the Igotus who are seen as bad omens. Like, they don't know any of that. But they know he's different. And they're even considering exiling him. Like, this is 10 years after he was found, okay? Like, he's kind of settled into their life, but he's just a troublemaker sometimes, you know? He's, he's just different. Um, but yeah. 
So they're considering exiling him from the tribe. But before they can decide on that, the Wahans are attacked and enslaved by the Dekan forces. You know, as I mentioned, Tagon was told to send his forces down to Eark to get some slaves. So there, they were found by the Dekan forces. And uh, yeah, the Wahans were attacked and Unsom was separated from them. From them. But he promises to free the Wahan tribe and he finds a way up the Great Black Cliff. And so, you know, eventually when he arrives there, he's exposed to like how different their world is, their civilization, their culture, like how they do things, how they see things. It's just completely different when when he's in Arthdal. And so he finally disco- discovers who or what he is and how um he will be seen in Arthdal. Right, like the discrimination and like the outright, outright hatred for Igudus. Um, and so Unsom's journey is a very traditional like hero's journey. You know, he's I don't want to pull up like the 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 diagram, but you know, he starts out in a certain way, and then he is pulled out of his world, and he faces struggles, and then. He reaches his lower point, lowest point, and he is enlightened. And then he, you know, comes back to the beginning, becoming stronger and better than he was at the start of his journey. Very traditional hero's journey. Unsum is a pretty traditional protagonist. Our next character is Tanya, played by Kim Ji-won. So Tanya is a member of the Wahan tribe, and she is... Uh, proclaimed to be the next great mother. So, like, their spiritual leader of sorts. Um, be- Well, okay, okay. At first, she feels like she's unable to follow in the great mother Chosol, their, their current great mother's, like, footsteps. Like, she can't dream. She can't memorize this traditional dance that's been passed down from generation to generation of great mothers. You know, meanwhile, Unsom, this outsider, can do all of that. He can dream. He has memorized that, you know, traditional dance just by watching it once. Um, the thing with her relationship with Unsom is that he's not okay, she's not actually like jealous of him or she hates him or whatever. It's nothing like that. So she was born on the same day as Unsom, like when the great blue comet appeared. Hmm. Seems like a connection. <laughs> okay. But yeah, like they have that connection and just they grew up together. Of course, they're the same age. And so, yeah, she is his closest friend. And so, you know, after everything they've been through, like Unsom's kind of in love with her, <laughs> you know, childhood friends, the lovers. Um, no. Uh, the thing is, like, they were separated when the Wahan tribe became enslaved. Like, she stayed with her. Like, he tried to save them. He almost saved her, but she decided to stay with her tribe because she is the next great mother. It's like, she has to be there for her tribe. So, okay, girl, that's your choice. Eventually, you know, she is sold as a slave and she ends up in Tela's household. And so she learns more about, like, the world. Like, the world of Arthdal, everything they struggle with, everything they have advanced in terms of and like how different their lives are from the lives back down in Iark when they were together as the Wahan tribe. Um, she learns all about that in Teala's household and she also like discovers, I guess, or realizes how important power is to to survive in this world. Like you need to have power to really survive. And so Eventually, she discovers, like, her spiritual power. Like, she genuinely is the next great mother of the Wahan tribe. Like, she she is spiritually significant, okay? And so, she uses those abilities um, to rise to power in Arthdal while, you know, trying to protect the Wahan tribe, trying to bring her people back together. And then discovering that, like, as people are exposed to, you know, this new civilization, this new culture, um, the wonders and pleasures of capitalism and consumerism, <laughs> like, people change. People change when they are exposed to that. So, yeah. 
that that's that's Tanya's story. Just her rise to power and like just her holding on to her not naivety, but her innocence and her hope that the world will not her or her people will not change for the worse. There, okay? I'ma stop there. And our last um main character is Saya, played by Song Jung Ki. Oh yes, yes, you heard it right. Song Jung Ki plays a double role. Oh, so okay, Saya is an igutu because he is the twin of Unsom. Yeah, Asahon and Ragas had twins, and so uh he was left by Ragas when Ragas died, and Tagon like found the baby and took him in and left him to Teilha to take care of. And so he lived in isolation essentially um for m- his entire life in the Fortress of Fire which is like the main ha- home base headquarters of the Hay tribe. So he lived in a tower up there, you know, like Rapunzel <laughs> and he's been hidden away because of course he's an igutu and how can you explain the fact that there is an igutu in the home of the hay tribe. Eh. So, you know, being isolated there, he spent all his time studying politics and strategy. And he's he's very intelligent and also very manipulative. Similar to Teelha. <laughs> Except, like, he doesn't have, like, a Tagon figure in his life. He doesn't have someone that he can channel all that, you know, intelligence and manipulation to, <laughs> you know, in a productive manner to, to help someone or to do something. However, Teilha makes Tanya his servant and he falls in love with her. <laughs> and so actually, he is the one who teaches her about the importance of power. And eventually, he is able to channel his intelligence and his strategicness um, to help her rise along with helping Tagon rise. And by, you know, essentially securing, once again, the military and the religious power of the nation, he is able to secure his own position and his own safety. There. Those those are the five main characters of the show. Um huh. okay. That was a lot. Wait, let me slow down. <laughs> Alright. So first I just have to address this immediately. This is not like Game of Thrones. Really? Okay, I never watched Game of Thrones, okay? Just just putting that out there. But I, I, I'm pretty sure it's not like this. Okay, first of all, it just has similar vibes, of course, because it's like this Bronze Age, barbaric, dark, you know, political intrigue and violence and all. But it... I, I don't know. It's just so different, I think. I think, you know, there are no dragons here. I think. <laughs> I Maybe mean, in season one, there are no dragons, but in season two, there will be. Mm, who knows? My point is, it's just like, stop making the Game of Thrones comparisons. Like, aesthetically, they made, there are some similarities, but what? You're claiming every prehistoric, barbaric age type of show is Game of Thrones? Come on. Come on, guys. No one talks about that show anymore. But look at me. I'm still talking about Arthur Chronicles in 2021. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, yeah. I mean, it's just not. There. That's all I'm gonna say about it. Like, it's just not. So, <laughs> moving on to like, what do I like about this show? First of all, the world building is insane. I mean, it's really crazy how much time they must have spent, like, thinking of this entire world that they built. Like, first of all, they even created, like, different languages just to represent, like, the different species and even the tribes that, you know, have different cultures and all that. Like, so many tribes and cultures, and they're represented, like, in different ways, like you can see it visually, even in oh my god, their costumes are so good and so like consistently good, you know, like it really shows something about the culture of the tribe that wears it, okay, um, the thing is like because of how huge this world is, the show really takes its time in introducing all of these only when they're important to the plot, like yeah, okay, the first episode is an info dump, but you need the info dump. It's the first episode. Like, you can't just jump into this entirely foreign world 
without any information whatsoever ever and expect people to just get it. Okay, so the info dump was kind of, yeah, the entire first episode. But, you know, slowly, they don't just tell you that there's this entire tribe that, you know, is very, um, what do I call this? They betray each other and sell each other as slaves and they compete with each other and attack. Like, within one tribe, the clans attack each other and capture each other each other's people to sell as slaves like they don't show you that until part three because what are they gonna do with that information in part one when it's just about you know unsom finding his way up to arthdal and like trying to hide the fact that he's an egotu and fighting tagon okay that's not relevant yet so they're not going to talk about that so like my point is <laughs> um the show takes it th- its time okay and it will not entirely you know throw all this information at you but it still is difficult it may be very difficult to keep up because there there really is just so much information but try try to keep up with it take notes if you must i'm kidding um just try your best to keep up with all the information because like the world really does come together it's it's pretty cohesive it's just a lot okay next thing um, this is a show for those who like political intrigue, like the scheming of it all, I guess, but in a you know more dramatic way, not as subtle as like actual political shows, like modern political shows. Okay, like it's a lot of backstabbing and literal backstabbing, I guess, and poisoning and spying, and you know, it's like prehistoric makjang, I guess, <laughs> but. It's it's good. It's interesting. Okay, there's so many twists and turns. Now, I mean, I really could not tell that this was going to happen at this point. That this reveal was going to come. You know, you're discovering things. You really are discovering things along with the protagonists. Or, or the protagonists are revealing their thousand secrets to you one by one. It's really, really, really interesting. And Okay, another thing I like about the show is that there are consequences, okay? Characters can actually die. Plot armor here, I mean, aside from like, I guess the main five protagonists, plot armor does not exist. Anyone could die, okay? Um, There are consequences to their actions and there are stakes in the things that are going on. So, yeah. I, that, my point is like, Unlike other shows where it's like, oh, they're never gonna kill that person. It's too important. They're not gonna do that. No, 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 no. People will die. <laughs> be careful who you root for. <laughs> you never know. They might be gone. <laughs> okay. So now I have to like, I want to individually talk about the protagonists. And like, aside from the characters, also their performances. Because I really feel like... Among, like, you know, the four actors and the five characters out there, none of them, I would not get rid of any of them. They all really serve their purpose and they all portray their characters really well. So I just, I just want to shed a light on each of them because I do, like, I don't think I would have gotten this invested in the show, you know, with all the things I have to keep track of, with all the characters and all the lore and everything I have to take note of. I wouldn't have cared or I wouldn't have stuck to it and really enjoyed the ride if I were not invested in the characters, really. The the central characters. So, I digress. First, we have to talk about the anti-heroes. Okay, these are, you know, they're power-hungry, they're manipulative, but they're flawed. And they just have ambitions to make up for all the pain that they've experienced in their life. That's Tagon and Teala. You know, you may not like them. You may think, like, are these not the evil people in the show? No, no, no. <laughs> you have to put up with them. They're the main characters, too. You you have to watch their journey, okay? You cannot wish them death because they will probably survive everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, first, um, Tagon. Jang Dong-gun as Tagon. I think Jang Dong-gun really really portrayed Tagon with the first very handsome very hot for an old man for an old man it's very hot um and I think he portrayed like 
tinutago and being charming. Sometimes, as you realize more, you discover more and more things about him, like, he's charming and he's powerful, but he's also pitiful. And, and yet, sometimes he's terrifying, but he's still, like, a vulnerable person who's desperate to be accepted and to be loved. Jang Dong-gun portrays all of those. Full spectrum, okay? Tago na sa character. He reminds me of uh, Wang So from Scarlet Heart. You know, Wang So and Tagon, they do some terrible things, some morally questionable things. And like, they're, you know, they're violent, they're cruel sometimes. But, but you know what they've been through. And that's why you sympathize with them. It's just like, oh man, you know, like in, in another character who did not have your backstory, you'd probably be seen as a villain. Not just an antagonist, a villain. <laughs> but we've seen your story. We know your story. And that's why we're still kind of on your side. So yeah, yeah. Dagon and Wangso are problematic faves. <laughs> so now I I just want to talk about my absolute favorite girl, Teala. And just Kim Okvin's like amazing portrayal of her. Because she's you know, Tela is, is she's cunning, but she's also vulnerable. And she's just desperately in love, you know? She just really loves Tagon. But she's also desperate to survive and to, like, be her own person as well and stand on her own after, you know, being manipulated and treated as, like, a spy or a seducer by her own father, like, being thrown out into the flames, like, you know? Do what you have to do. Get a secure position. Like, that was how her father treated her. And so she is angry at him, but he's still also her father. And, you know, what matters most to her is Tagon. Okay, here. Her relationship with Tagon could easily be portrayed as like, you know, submissive woman and her powerful man. But the thing is, she's always portrayed as a strong individual. That doesn't just rely on him to be, you know, to be secure, to be strong. Like, okay, here, here, here. She doesn't just settle for being his, like, lover or mistress or whatever. Because, you know, uh, eventually, Tagon has to get married to someone to secure his power. But, you know, she doesn't just settle for, like, it's okay, I'll just love you from afar. Or, you know, I'll love you in the shadows. <laughs> or something stupid like that. It's just like, okay, whatever. I guess this is gonna hurt, but we have to do what we have to do. Uh, and so she becomes like the head of her tribe. And, and and her goals essentially still align with his success and the survival of her drive, tribe. My point is, she doesn't lose herself just because she can't, you know, have quote-unquote Tagon, right? And so, okay, eventually even when Tagon, you know, becomes the king, I guess, he's the king and she is the queen. But she's not the queen just because like, oh, he married her or he loves her. Like, not just by association to him. She becomes the queen because she has the power, the influence, and the knowledge to put herself in that position. She is her own person. You get my point? I feel like you have to watch the show to understand like, how Teala is not just, you know, the support. Like, she does support him, but she's not just like, you know, she she's a weak, she's not a weak support to him. Mm, I don't know how to explain it. I just Tela is a strong, independent woman who chooses to love a man. Okay? Loving him is her choice. She does not need him, but she does love him. Okay? Um, in general, like the reason why I'm okay with their relationship, despite everything. Everything that goes on in their lives. Okay, I'm not saying they're terrible to each other. I'm actually saying that their relationship feels very genuine. Like they've really been through everything. And they only survived because of each other. Because they had each other. And they even made a promise that they would never lay down their life for the other person. Like, I will never die for you. I will never risk my life for you. And then they proceed to risk their lives for each other. <laughs> you know, to fight against all odds, to save each other, and to secure each other's position and power because that is what they do for each other. And so, like, because their love feels so genuine, it's like, okay, the stakes make sense. There are stakes to the things that you were doing. Like, I get the 
the reason why you struggle with your actions and all because you do genuinely want the best for each other I love them. OTP, okay? Uh, no, no tayala tagon slander in this household. I love them. Okay. So, now I'm going to talk about, like, the more traditional protagonists, I guess. And so, of course, we have to talk about Unsom. Uh, he's my least favorite among the five that I talked about earlier. Um, The thing is... I didn't love his character because I felt like he was just a traditional, you know, hero's journey type of character. Like, yeah, I, I felt like the others were, you know, as I said, Tagod and Taylor, they're anti-heroes. You know, they do terrible things sometimes, but you get them and that's why you root for them. And Tanya, who I will talk about later, is she's interesting in her own way and she's not the female lead that I usually hate. But, you know, Unsom is the fe- the male lead that I usually hate. Like, the hero type. You know? But he is necessary because not everyone will root for a morally gray character. Okay? They just want the good guy. They just want the hero. That's Unsom. You know? People will root for him. He's necessary. The annoying thing, really, though, is that he was so removed from the events in Arthdal starting from, like, part two. Yeah, he will kind of have his own journey when he reaches his lowest point in the hero's journey, okay? So, yeah, he'll have his own thing. And so, yeah, like, at some point, I was just really uninterested in his story. But once again, he is necessary. Not just in, like, a storytelling aspect, but, like, you know, in fulfilling, in completing the lore, you know? Like, yeah, he's still important. Just because he's separated from the rest of the characters does not mean, like, his role, his story is not important. I get it, I get it. He exists, and I accept his existence. <laughs> that is my... Those are my thoughts about Unsung. He exists. Okay, noted with thanks. And, like, in general, it just felt like a less interesting performance from Song Junki. At least compared to Saya, who I will talk about later, definitely. But, yeah. Okay, now I'll talk about Kim Ji-won as Tanya, who for me is a revelation. Because I have not watched, I have not really watched Kim Ji-won in anything else, but in here, I just, I really do love her. So, okay, Tanya first, Tanya. Um, She started out as, like, you know, this down-to-earth kind of, bubbly-ish simple girl in a tribe just trying to do her best and then like when she ended up in Arthdal as a slave in Teela's household or like working for Saya like she's rebellious and then she discovers what her power is (laughs) wow superpowers no 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 like she discovers that she has power and she could have influence and then she does. She does eventually become influential. And and yet, she is not corrupted by it. Like, you know, at the end of it, she is still the person that is most holding on to hope and to innocence. Innocence, not naivety. Innocence. Okay. Disclaimer, I don't like bubbly characters. I don't like happy characters. I don't like people who, you know, go through things and still come out like happy and optimistic. I don't like that. I hate it. So annoying. <laughs> I really hate those characters. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a common theme in most of the protagonists I have hated and loved. So I'm glad that Tanya didn't stay the same from her experiences back down in ER to when she arrived in Arthdal. Like after, you know, literally watching your tribe your people being enslaved and you being sold off and separated from them and then just, you know, being trapped in this situation where you don't know where you are, you don't know who the people around you are and you're essentially being tamed like an animal to be a servant. Like, would you really stay the same after all of that? You know, even Hesu <laughs> in Scarlet Heart could not stay the same person that she was after everything she had been through. So, yeah. I like that, okay? And I like, in general, I like stories of, like, people, like, being kind of, being corrupted, quote-unquote, in some way, or, like, losing their innocence or just adapting to their situation. But, 
whatever hope or kindness that remains in them is genuine. Okay, they genuinely want to hold on to that hope or to hold on to that kindness. And it's not just because they're naive about the world anymore. I like those stories. And Tanya is Tanya is that story. So I, I like her. I like her. And in general, like Kim Ji-won portrays her entire journey really well. And she can like she started out as, you know, very simple, very naive, and then she learned and adapted. And then she uh came onto a position of influence, I guess. And then she tried to be commandeering and like powerful and all that. But you could still see like that the vulnerability or like just seeing someone who is still a fish out of water. Like who doesn't really know what they're doing and how powerful they are, but they are coming to terms with it. And they are slowly understanding how the world sees saw them before and how that is starting to change like just that that entire transition of her story until eventually she does grow into her position and eventually like learns how to play the game that the political game that is going on around her like tanya grows into that and kim jiwon really portrays that well so love her love her now (laughs) kim jiwon i like her a lot now and our last protagonist, I say, is like the wild card. You know? Song Junki as Saya. Saya is toxic. He's manipulative. He's always scheming. He's a diabolical little little prince or whatever. But but he is deeply hurt. And he's desperate to be to be seen. Okay? He was hidden away in a tower for years, guys. For all his life. He just wants to be seen and to be loved. Okay, to me, Saya is the better Song Jonggi character. <laughs> okay, I like him. I like him a lot because he's he's unpredictable. Okay, he's he's Tagon's like dirty little secret, who may actually be either his demise or the key to his success. And so you never know what side Saya will take. Like, what will he be when you flip the coin on him today? You know, um. And the, the, the great thing about Saya and about Song Jung Ki playing Saya is that his portrayal of Saya is worlds apart from his portrayal of Unsong. Okay, like he really pulled off the double the dual role, okay? Like not an ounce of those two characters in each other. And their journeys are totally different and their dynamics with people totally different and Song Joong-ki portrayed both of those really well they were even able to utilize like how pretty Song Joong-ki is in Saya <laughs> he's so pretty it's his wig in, in this show my goodness Song Joong-ki beautiful man um, <laughs> uh, the thing with Saya is like I call him a wild card character because he's polarizing of course of course he is like some like me love him I love him, you know, he's, I root for him, despite everything, every evil thing he has done, and like all the evil energy around him, and others just see him as like a foil to, you know, the the Tanya Unsom love story, which I don't care about, I don't care about Tanya and Unsom, like romantically, so I just, I feel bad for Saya because he fell in love with Tanya. And Tanya only, you know, sees Unsom's face in him. It's a little messed up, but feel bad for the guy, you know? Feels bad, man. So, yeah, my point is I really don't care about Unsom. <laughs> he exists, but Saya is the better Song Junkie character there. So now we go to the not-so-good parts. Which, okay, first of all, the pacing of the show. Some may think it's too slow. Like, they just spent so much time on the backstory, which I get. And, like, if you like a certain character, even the protagonists, okay, even the main five, like, some characters get little to no screen time in some episodes. But let me defend the show. Let me defend it. Okay. First of all, the show's, it just juggles so many characters and plot lines. And so, 
it would rather fully explore this plotline and this character's like backstory or their journey in one episode, like cover as much of it as you can and then end it at a certain point and then transition to another plotline and then fully explore that. Instead of like, imagine like dipping into, you know, 10 different plotlines bit by bit every episode. And then you never really like build the full picture of what's happening in their story. And so I, I do like their approach of it that they focus on one storyline in this episode and then go to another in the next like you know in episode one it was all about you know the world building and then tagon's rise to fame and all that and then in the second episode it was all about like how what happened to unso and tanya down in the wahan tribe when they grew up we didn't even we saw tagon for like one scene two scenes in episode two i swear and i thought like what why aren't we focusing on him and then I realized, like, how would we insert him into, you know, exploring the backstory of the Wahan tribe? He doesn't fit. He doesn't belong there. He would just be, like, an extra scene. That didn't make sense. It only made sense to include him when they were talking about, you know, colonization or, like, enslaving people. So, yeah, like, I appreciated that. It felt like a more focused view into everyone's stories. But yeah, I, I guess it is a little too much for many people. I get it. I get it. I I, I respect that. Um, another, you know, criticism of the show is its format. Okay, so I mentioned this earlier. Uh, it's it was split into three parts with six episodes each, and there was a break, like a two month break between the first two parts and then the last part and so parts one and two it feels like the backstory was you know very much spread out through those two parts again it's all about you know figuring out who is who and what uh what's their relation to the lore or to the mythology and, and what uh what happened in this place and in that uh fight or whatever like all of the backstories yes yes and then in part three like yeah they it was coming together but then you realized it was all leading up to season two. Part three, like parts one and two were leading up to part three. And part three was leading to season two. It didn't feel like it was its own arc. Like, the res- like okay, yeah, there were some resolution to some arcs. But it felt like those arcs were just leading to the next arc. And so it felt like their entire journey as characters was not at all even close to becoming to being complete and so it just felt like there was no resolution in general and the thing is like season two isn't even totally confirmed and you know given like all the restrictions and you know even simple dramas are struggling to film right now so i'm really not optimistic about like season two filming anytime soon so yeah that that's that's the annoying thing about shows that are actually planning to have seasons without like you know 100% sure success like okay hospital playlist right they really came into it saying we will try a seasonal we will make a seasonal show i mean yes it will depend on you know our ratings but we're pretty optimistic that the ratings will be okay i mean yeah we were all pretty optimistic that the ratings of hospital playlist would be okay so season 2 it made sense like it made sense that it was going to happen but this show was a little risky there that's my point it's too it was too risky and so they were planning to have seasons like it's obvious in the plot line how everything was built up and written like it was obvious that they wanted this to be you know portrayed in seasons but the annoying thing is we're still not entirely sure it was too risky we weren't sure and then they left the story of the very sure, very confirmed, very much happening season one, they left it incomplete on purpose. And to me, like, that loses the appeal of K-dramas. Like, K-dramas to me are appealing because, you know, unlike Western shows that drag it on for season after season, you know, making up another thin plot line after thin plot line per season just to keep the show going. Like... K-dramas don't do that. They end after 16 to 20 episodes and then we're done. Let's finish our stories by then. Like, maybe we can leave a little cliffhanger just to test the waters and see if, like, people still want a season two. But in general, their stories, it's good. 
It's done. It should have resolution. But this, sh- <laughs> this show did not give me resolution. It just gave me a cliffhanger or a preview to a next episode or a next season that we don't even know if it will push through. So yeah, it really annoys me that, that you know, they. it was obvious that it was planned, but the plans did were not entirely sure if it will push through. And another issue I have with season two is that, you know, Kim Won-suk, the, you know, the director, might not even be the director for season two, or he will not, definitely. He he said, he really said that he was firm about only doing one season. Okay. Now we're talking about Kim Won-suk, who, once again, is my favorite director. I mean, I have watched, yeah, Missing, Signal, My Mister, and now this. And yeah, Arthdal is my least favorite of the four that I've watched. I think it's just not his forte, okay? It's it's very plot-heavy. It's not as, like, cerebral. What, is that the term? I think that's the term. So you're, like, introspective, right? It's not as introspective as the other three, as his other works. And it has less of his, like, silent, you know, show-don't-tell moments where you can really just dwell on, like, the character's thoughts and feelings just by seeing what they're seeing or where they are. Or what they're doing. None of... Less of that. And it's a lot of like inner monologues. Because like, you know, you... There's just so much going on. And so if people are scheming something, it's really hard to tell their intentions just by their stares or their whatever. Like, you have to really hear what they're thinking to get a grasp of what's going on. I get it. I get it. It really wasn't his style. But I do think like, it was good. It was still pretty good. And uh, like whatever moments that he could insert, he could do that. He did it. Yeah. Okay. I I can't give a specific example of like his trademark show don't tell moments and all that. But but I still think like he was able to tie everything together, keep things engaging enough, exciting enough, at least for me to enjoy. Okay. But yeah, as I mentioned, he was firm about only doing one season and like based on like stories from the set, like everyone was really overworked. It was a very demanding project. So I get it. I get why people or why he won't come back. But you know who's gonna replace him? Kim Kute. Who um what did this person direct? It's okay, that's love. And Scarlet Heart. Hmm. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I think he's improved since then. Based, I saw like some clips of live from 2018. Like, it didn't seem as terribly shot as his shows before. So I think he's improved. I don't think I'm gonna get like the close-ups anymore. I hope so. But I don't know if I can expect like this level of quality. Just, just, you know, the magic touch that Kim Won-suk has and how like he just brings out the best in the actors and actresses he works with like really there's really something about his directing that I cannot I don't know enough about directing to explain what exactly it is that I love so much about his shows but I really noticed I mean you know three three shows four shows okay all four of the shows I really did enjoy I was super invested and I loved what I was watching okay so, the fact that I could really identify that his shows do something to me, you know? They really, really touch my heart somehow. Arthdal Chronicles, which is not the introspective sad show that I tend to love. <laughs> I still was super invested in this show. And I still... <sighs> okay. I mean, I'm not very hopeful for season two whether it's gonna happen at all and if it does happen like for what we're gonna get i'm not entirely hopeful but i will still definitely watch it you know i i spent my time in the first season 18 episodes that were almost entirely one and a half hours long like yeah i i took my time with that show and i enjoyed every minute of it well not every minute of it but (laughs) i enjoyed it i enjoyed it in general that's my point Arthville Chronicles, it's underrated. I would really call it underrated because it's good. It's good, guys. It really is. But it's not for everyone. I 
I will understand that. Like, it's very violent. One, it's very violent. I, I have to admit. Some will think it's too slow. And some will think too much is going on. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, though. It's true. They can happen at the same time. But it's the type of show where you just have to get invested in the characters and their backstories and all the events around them. Just just, just sink into it, you know? Just take it as it is and enjoy the ride. It's that kind of show. But it's not like, you know, the way Scarlet... No, very different. Like The characters here are all very complex. Complex motivations and desires and goals and ambitions and actions. Morally gray people that somehow I personally will still root for. Yeah. World building is exquisite. It's a lot to take note of. But if you can keep up, I think you'll enjoy. It's it's that kind of show. Just enjoy the ride. Because it's a ride. And it's good. <laughs> Very like... It's good, guys. It really is. Um, So there. I hope... I hope that was enough of like... Of you into Arthdal Chronicles. Because there's way more. I am withholding so much information. But it's also because I may not be able to remember every detail. There's so many details. There's always something new in each episode. Something new to learn about the characters or some new development, some new thing to deal with. Like, ah, oh, it's a very stressful show somehow. But but I really loved it. I hope this episode, like, convinces you to give it a try. It's a lot, but please try it. Um... And that's it for me today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Once again, maybe try Arthel Chronicles. Um, and yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. I will see you soon. Bye.